Welcome to Wall Street Weekly, a show where your hosts, George and Patrick, cut through the financial jargon to keep you educated and informed about the markets that affect our lives. Enjoy the show. You're listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. I'm George Akala, joined alongside Patrick Scott. This is Wall Street Weekly, and we're excited to be back for the summer. What about you, Patrick? Definitely. It's been a long summer, but um, yeah, ready to get back to it. Now, before we get too far down the road, I do want to make the disclosure that this is for entertainment purposes only. Anything we say on this show, you should consult with a financial or legal professional before doing anything in the finance realm. Now, the summer for me was kind of like a weird limbo in the sense that you're not quite in summer long enough where you can disassociate from the college life, but you're not really in the college life anymore. So you just kind of feel in limbo. And that's exactly what the stock market was like this summer. It didn't really know what it wanted to do. Or in fact, it there, it was a pretty good summer. Um, the S&P 500 had about an 11% gain since we last talked in May. However, there was a lot of um, convoluting factors in there. So you had a fear of a recession just because the Fed has raised interest rates so quickly. And repeatedly and plans to do so more, right? In the future, yeah. And that's been a big thing for the the bear investors, generally the value investors in this case. On the other side of the coin, you have the bulls, the, the very growth-oriented investors. They are seeing how AI is revolutionizing every aspect of our lives, and they see that as an opportunity to get in before the next big thing. So um, it, it's just been a very odd summer, to say the least, that actually started out with one of the weirdest products that we've seen in a long time. So Patrick's going to tell us about that. Yeah. So Apple has released their first new product since the Apple Watch. The Vision Pros were introduced in June and it will release in early 2024. So the Vision Pros, uh, it's this, I don't know if I would call it virtual reality headset. I suppose that's what it technically is. I think they call it augmented reality. That, that, that would be more appropriate. Yeah. Augmented reality. It's basically, I don't know, they, I looked on Apple's website and I looked through it and it looks very impressive. It looks super cool, but it's basically just like an iPhone in your eyes <laughs> and the camera is always on and whatever you look at becomes the home screen. But anyways, some details. So it's priced at $3,500. And that was funny if we don't have the clip, but when they introduced the VR headset, everyone was super excited or the augmented reality rather about the Vision Pro. When they announced the price point, there was just a, a sigh and people were disappointed because Apple lovers still will buy it, but 3500 is pretty steep. Also, the production cost, um, the production cost is high. It's about $1,600, uh, reports say. Um, and that's, we'll, we'll get more into profit margins later um, with that because that's an important detail. Um, but yeah, it definitely is on the high end um, for what... Like I said, I would consider an iPhone in your eyes. Yeah. But yeah, if if any of our listeners haven't had the chance to check out um, what it looks like, it is very impressive. The idea that you have this screen, you know, one of the highest definition screens they've ever made, um, but yet can still see your background uh, or the surroundings you're in. Um, it could revolutionize entertainment workspaces, etc. Oh, for sure. Now, Patrick, haven't they tried something like this before? Well, the thing it comes that, that comes to mind is Google Glass. So, yeah, this was several years ago that Google Glass was released. Um, and then it never really got past the development stage. Um, it cost 
$1,500 for a new Google Glass. Um, it didn't quite have all the same features as the Vision Pros, um, but it was still pretty cool, especially for the time. It was super innovative. But p turns out people just didn't want to pay that much money for a developmental product. With that, we'll, I guess I'll ask the question, is it going to be profitable or not? I do think it accomplishes relatively little for the high price if it just does the job of an iPhone. It's obviously in a really cool setting. But they, I, I was also thinking, you know, with the workspace thing, maybe they could get contracts with companies to supply it to their employees um, as, as a potential point to get in the market there just because it is so expensive for, you know, the average Joe to buy it. Yeah, I think the one thing that I'm kind of worried about with this product specifically is computing power has gotten so good that you can get a great computer now for for like 700 to 1500 dollars so i think it's really hard when a computer can do almost all the same things albeit not in the augmented reality space um, but you can watch videos on that you can check stocks on that you can do everything um, that an iphone can do i think the mac air even is around a thousand dollars so yeah i mean there will be the people who buy it but I think they really need to get the price down before it has that widespread appeal. And as I mentioned earlier, the profit margins. So I think this is going to be something really interesting to look at because Apple's most successful product, or iPhone at least, cost $200 to make, and they sold it for $650. So that's a 70% profit margin, which is pretty good. But for the Vision Pros, they would keep only 55%. And that's, you know, add to that the limited sales just by virtue of how expensive it is. So I think because of the profit margin, it's not going to do super great there. And then, of course, we want to take this back to investing. So how would this affect Apple's stock? Um, I, my hypothesis is it's not going to launch the share price, at least not immediately, um, especially considering the efficient market hypothesis, which we have talked about before. Yeah. And for those of you who maybe hadn't heard that discussion, the idea that investors are forecasting out you know, years in the future, and they already know the Vision Pros. They're projecting sales for 18, 24 months in the future. So the stock price today reflects future expectations. Right. Um, but I do think there's room for possible long-term growth if they um, are able to take more of the market share and just really get that competitive advantage. If they really nail down this product, get it out of the development stage, um, and just really put it in as the main uh, piece of equipment sort of in this category, then they might be able to do well over the long run. Also, we'll have to consider, you know, consumer preferences of virtual reality versus augmented reality. You know, I'm thinking of the metaverse, right? That's full virtual reality, right? So I think that'll be an interesting um, point. So, uh, but as for our ultimate investor's advice on this point is, you know, when you're buying a stock, you are not buying the product, you're buying the company. So you have to look at you know, all sorts of data um, that just goes beyond like, oh, I think this is a really cool product that they're going to release. Yeah. If a company comes out with a really cool product, but they've got a ton of debt, you yeah. know, and all sorts of other management problems and whatnot, it could still, the company could still fail, even if they have a super innovative product. In a lot of ways, it is like the Vision Pro. Like, you can think that the Vision Pro is a really cool thing, but you can say, wow, that's way too expensive for me to buy. In the same way, there's a lot of stocks that I'm like, wow, that's a really cool company. They do something that I really enjoy, but they're way too expensive for me to buy now. There's just not enough profit there. So I think, yeah, a similar comparison can be made for that. Yeah.
And to move away from the Vision Pros, uh, for well, not away from Apple, but just from the Vision Pros on a quick tangent. Um, I'm a soccer fan, George, and so we're roommates this semester. So yeah, there there seems to always be soccer on in the background, which you know <laughs> you got to make compromises, I guess. Yeah, very detrimental to the homework hours, I might add. Um, but anyways, this summer one of the biggest tra- uh, transfers, maybe of all time, happened. Um, at least how far as America is concerned. But Lionel Messi, widely known as the best player in the world, went to Inter Miami this summer. Um, and Apple is actually related to this. Um, they wanted Messi to come to America to play for Miami because they want to increase their iPhone sales in South America. What? And this doesn't seem super related at first. Basically, Messi is going to get $150 million in his contract for the next three years, which is a lot of money, even though it's for the best player in the world. But the interesting thing is that most of that isn't going to come from his employer in our Miami, the team he's playing for. Most of it is coming from Adidas and Apple. Adidas is basically paying him to wear their cleats, promote uh, Adidas brand on his Instagram, which has hundreds of millions of followers. Um, but Apple is paying him because Apple recently earned the rights, the exclusive rights to show uh, the MLS, all the MLS games exclusively on Apple TV Plus for the next 10 years. And that's the U.S. Soccer League, correct? Yes, Major League Soccer is the American Soccer League. So Apple is basically paying Messi to increase their Apple TV sales, get new subscriptions, and just raise that viewership. That's why they wanted Messi in Miami because they know he's such a big player. And more than that, he's such a big name. You know, soccer, even non-soccer people know who Messi is. They probably follow him on Instagram. But the Apple CEO, Tim Cook, says he's not playing for the American audience here. So he's actually trying to expand Apple's market share into South America, where it is the fourth largest in the smartphone market. Wow. So for some context, Messi is from Argentina, and Argentina just won the World Cup in November. So the the football craze is kind of at an all time high right now. Yeah, uh, I, I remember the the videos from that parade where there was what over four million people yeah. at Argentina's championship parade. It's absolutely ridiculous, like how much soccer is part of the culture there. Um, and so the CEO of Apple, Tim Cook, wants to tap into that. Um, so if he can get the South Americans to watch their hometown hero on Apple TV Plus. That would help get iPhones into their hands, by his logic, at least. Um, And iPhones are the biggest revenue generator for Apple. And also, Apple is paying Messi based on how many new Apple TV Plus subscriptions they get internationally. Um, So Messi gets a cut there. So it's almost like a Shark Tank thing, where Messi is getting like a percentage of every sale that Apple TV makes. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure where the specifics are for the contract, but um, yeah, he's, he's definitely getting a cut. So fortunately for for Apple, Messi has absolutely absolutely showed out in his first month in Inter Miami. His debut game, he scored a free kick in the last minute of a tied game to win the game for for Miami in front of a home stadium packed crowd. Um, and so it was just like the dream start. And yeah. now everyone is wanting to watch, you know, Messi on Apple TV Plus. And Apple TV Plus is promoting it like crazy. If you go on their website, it's like. You'd see his face and it says the goat lives here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. The idea that, you know, a company like Apple could be influencing culture as the appeal of soccer grows in America. 
it could be because of a business decision by a U.S. company, which I just think is absolutely wild. Yeah. But uh, thanks, Patrick. That was a great story, like very interesting, um, especially we'll probably revisit Apple because it is the biggest company in the world in the future. And, and yeah, very interested to see how the Vision Pro pans out. Now, a company that is doing slightly less well, at least on the surface, than Apple is another well-known company, Disney. Disney's stock price has fallen uh, over 50% from what it was four years ago in 2019. So let's go in a time machine back to 2019. Disney releases Disney Plus in November of 2019. Before that, they had released Avengers Endgame, which takes the world by storm and is the number two grossing film of all time. That same year, they acquire 21st Century Fox, which has just a great content library of many movies. And then you have strong theme park attendance. Now let's fast forward to Disney today. Their stock today, as we record on August 31st, has just reached its nine-year low. Disney Plus has been unprofitable because of all the money they've spent on making content. Interestingly enough, they're also facing a lawsuit from investors. Their CEO basically said that by early 2024, they would have about uh, 150 or they would have about 230 million projected subscribers. Today, he projects that number to be 150 million Ooh. Disney Plus subscribers. They said it would be profitable in 2024, early 2024. They better get it turned around quick because this year, or last physical year, they lost $500 million. The last 12 months, they've lost $500 million. And if you factor in Hulu and ESPN Plus, Disney streaming as a whole has lost $3.7 billion over the past 12 months. And Hulu and ESPN are part of Disney, correct? Yes, ESPN is has always been part of Disney, or at least for a while. And then I believe Hulu was in the 21st Century Fox acquisition. Oh, okay. Now, to show you how far Disney has fallen from that great year in 2019, in the 2020s, Disney has had zero movies that have grossed in their top 20 or top 30 movies that they've ever made. The 2010s had 26 of the top 30 grossing movies, and 2019 alone had 7 of the top 30 grossing movies. Now, this can partially be blamed on the pandemic. Theaters haven't really been fully opened, and you haven't had great releases since last summer when it seems like Top Gun Maverick kind of took the top off and uh, made going back to the movies more of a thing. Right, yeah. But even still, they've had a couple of flops, specifically within their animated categories, um, that Disney Pixar, which haven't lived up to projections. And you could also say that Disney Plus, their impact has actually been far worse than the reported losses of $500 million trailing 12 months. Because it's taken money away from their theatrical releases. If you own Disney Plus, you're less likely to go to the movies. Some of them they put right on Disney Plus. They didn't actually um, even release in the movie theater in 2020 and 2021. And then it also takes money away from their traditional TV rights because people aren't watching as much traditional TV. They're not able to sell some of their movies to the TV stations or cable packages that they normally would have been. So there's a lot of pressure on Disney to perform, and they just haven't been able to do it. Part of the reason there has been so much of this pressure is because they acquired 21st Century Fox. And I mentioned that 21st Century Fox had very great content. 
However, like with Apple, like with any other company we invest in, it's how much you pay for it. Because you can buy the best company in the world, but if you're paying too much, it still doesn't make it a good deal. No. So in 2019, uh, Disney took on $19.2 billion in debt to acquire 21st Century Fox for $71 billion. That was the price of the acquisition, $71 billion, which it was kind of funny. That was 40% higher than what they initially agreed on. How did that happen? They got into a bidding war, actually, with Comcast. So they agreed for $52 million was the initial purchase price. And then Comcast came in and said, oh, we'll top that offer. And they did. Uh, Comcast, I think, offered in, in the mid-60 millions, forcing Disney to pay up that $71 billion for 21st Century Fox. But at the time, people thought it was a really good acquisition. So the stock jumped nearly 30% in the month following, which... As a reminder, we've talked about this before. You have also have to look at how the industry performs. So it wasn't like they got purely 30% from that because other companies were going up 8 to 15% during that time period. But even still, they sub- significantly outperformed their peer group during that time. Um, so people thought that content was king in 2019. You would spend anything it took to acquire the most content you could, and you'd be able to outsurvive. Warner Bros. Discovery, um, HBO, Warner Bros. owns HBO, Netflix. You know, if you could outsurvive those guys, you'd be able to pick up their content for cheap and yeah, you'd yeah. basically have a monopoly. Hmm. And part of my theory, which I've heard a lot of other people talk about, is that these content creators underestimated the impact of free content because YouTube, TikTok during the pandemic, a lot of people turned to those mediums as a way to get their entertainment. And it's just really hard to compete with people when millions of hours of content are being released for free every single week. And just a little perspective of how bad that deal looks in hindsight. If the deal were done today, a lot of people speculate that it would be around half of what Disney paid for it. Granted, 21st Century Fox might not be for sale today, uh, just in the sense they might not want to sell it for that cheap. Um, but that's probably what it, it would have been worth had the deal been done today. Huh. Now they have debt. They have less flexibility at the same time that a company, Comcast, who owns Universal, is putting a lot of money into the Universal parks. And they're actually building another resort in Orlando right now uh, to compete with Disney. Or maybe not Orlando specifically, another one in Florida. They're really trying to beef up their theme park segment as people report that Disney theme parks are losing attendance oh man i didn't realize that yeah so some people have um thought that maybe this was partly strategic disney has jacked up its price in the and recently have jacked up the prices of the parks but even still i mean the fact that you have competition in the area building up is never a good thing for disney and the the moral of the story i think is that well a lot of people criticized for different reasons than we do just we're we're just strictly looking from a business perspective their business has recently been i think downward trending and it's been reflected in their stock price i don't know if the stock has been too pessimistic too optimistic that's not for me to say but i believe that a lot of the blame has to go on their ceo bob Iger. so the buck stocks stops with him he's pulling the trigger on a lot of these decisions Um, And he pursued an aggressive buying strategy at the most competitive time 
for content. And in addition to over-promising and underperforming, I think the biggest thing is he's eroded a lot of investor confidence because now his word isn't necessarily hold as much weight as it did in the past um, just because of a lot of his expectations for Disney+. Plus. So when investing in single equities, we do want to know the numbers. But at the same point, I think for a lot of people, it, you should try to understand what are management's goals for the companies? What are the strategy? What are the strategies? Um, what are the qualitative things? Because those, as shown in Disney, can make a pretty big difference. Warren Buffett would even say that he likes to buy companies that even an idiot can run because eventually an idiot will run the company. <laughs> yeah. Also, you mentioned um, management strategy and the numbers and all that. Just for a little tip for all, all our listeners out there, this this is all information that you can actually find um, in SEC filings in what are called 10Ks, annual reports that companies have to file. Um, you can look at you know what, what their goal is um, every year um, and see how they're doing um, and all their numbers as well in 10Ks. Well, Patrick, we did not come close to getting to everything that we wanted to cover today. Maybe which, halfway. Maybe halfway, <laughs> which means... We've got an episode next week already planned out. Next week, we're going to be talking about uh, the debt ceiling, what that was all about. I, I still think people are confused about it. I'm a little confused about it, so that's why I'm glad you're bringing that story. And I will be bringing the story talking about artificial intelligence. We look forward to seeing you then. As always, you can find our radio show online on not Twitter anymore, on X. X. At Wall Street Pod. Thank you for listening to Wall Street Weekly on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM.